Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we're, of course, continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew presents Jesus as the King of the Jews, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we've been seeing so much in this book. In fact, uh, if, if you hope that you picked up the card, if you didn't pick up the card, be sure and get it as you leave today, but we have a little card that says Matthew, and on one side is just the information about the book, it'll say who wrote it, when it was written, what the book's about, and then on the other side is an outline of the book of the gospel of Matthew, so as you, you can put it in your Bible, just keep it there and study it, and, and we've been seeing a lot of different things. We saw kind of the background of the king, as we called it, and then we saw the platform of the king, which is when Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, which was the Sermon on the Mount, in which he did some teaching. We're now in the section we're calling the power, the power of the king, and uh, the power over disease and over death and over demons and everything, and so this section is ba- basically chapters 8, 9, and 10, in which we're seeing some of his miracles and some of the things that he does. So as we look at it this morning, let me give you just, just an idea of things to think about. We're going to see Jesus Christ's power to heal and forgive, and we're going to talk about forgiveness and, and how that fits, and then the reaction of the religious leaders to his ministry. And as you already know, and we've already seen that there's already been conflict, and yet it's going to get worse and worse. And before we get to the end of the book, there's going to be a lot of conflict. And then finally, his purpose, and he's beginning something new. And that may seem strange, but if you remember at the very last of the verses that we wrote, and we talked about putting a new piece of garment on an old thing or putting new wine into old wineskins and all that, and people say, what is all that about? Well, it's because Jesus is beginning something new, and we'll see it as we go through it. Well... I trusted Christ when I was 19, most of you know that, and, uh, and, but I didn't grow very much until I was about 25 or 26, and I started growing, and I went to Mississippi State to be a coach, and, and the pastor that led me to Christ was a church there in Starkville, Mississippi, and, and I started growing, and so I, uh, the church at, at uh, it was called Emmanuel Baptist Church, that church was a lot like ours in the sense that on Sunday night, they had classes, just like on Wednesday night, we have a Bible Institute, well, they had classes on Sunday night. And so I asked Nap, he was the pastor, I said, hey, Nap, I, you know, I think I need to take one of those classes. And he said, yeah. I said, what do you think would be a good one for me to take? And he said, you probably ought to take the, the, the basics. And I went, no, I, I, don't, I don't need the basics. So see, I've been a Christian six years, and pretty much I know everything. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what I thought. Anyway, and I said, no, I don't think I'll take that. I'll take another one. And I took another one, and I realized just how much I didn't know. And so then I had to come back, and I took the basics. And then later on, I got to t- teach the basics. But, but it was so easy to think we don't need certain things. Well, this morning, we're going to see the religious leaders, when they think about Jesus, they don't think they need him. And in fact, they saw themselves as righteous and whole, and that Jesus hung around with sinners and tax collectors, and they don't need that. And Jesus said this. He said, the sick need the doctor, not the well, and the sinner needs the, the Savior, not the righteous. Well, the truth is this, we're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. You've probably talked to people who say things like, well, I don't need church, I don't need to go to church, I'm, I'm okay, I'm who I am. But many people overlook the only one that can give them life. This morning, we're looking at Jesus Christ and, and what he did and how the religious leaders respond to him and all of those things. And it just shows him as the Messiah and the King and as the Savior. Let me give you the passage just so you can look at it. We're going to see, first of all, the healing of the paralyzed man. It's a famous passage. I'll give you a little bit more background. Matthew does not go into a lot of detail on this one, but we see Christ forgives sins and how the religious leaders react to it. And then Jesus heals him physically and then the crowd's reaction to that. And then the calling of Matthew. Matthew follows. And I want, I want to remind you this. I already mentioned this in our grow group that Jesus sees Matthew and says, follow me. This is not salvation. 
Matthew's already trusted Christ. He's asking Matthew to follow him. That's discipleship. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk about the party they had. And then finally, this whole idea of fasting. And we're going to talk a little bit about it, but what's going on in this passage, and we'll see how that fits together. So in the last few weeks, we have seen Jesus and his power over demons and his power over the storm and, and, and casting out all this stuff and his power over sickness. He's just done so much. And the last time, they got in a boat, they went across the Sea of Galilee, they went to a place called the Gadarenes, and that's where that there were two men. Now, one, some of the parts of the Bible said there's one main man, but there were actually two men who were demon-possessed, and they came running up to Jesus, and the demons were all talking, and Jesus cast the demons out, and they went into these pigs. 2,000 pigs went running down into the, into the water and drowned, and the two men were okay after that. People came out. It was just amazing. They came out, and you would expect them to say, oh, my goodness, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. These two men who were crazy, they're not crazy anymore, and we've got the Messiah here, but they came out and they said, would you leave? You just killed our pigs. And that's what we saw. So Jesus, we're going to see that he gets back in the boat, and he goes back to the other side. So look at chapter 9, look at verse 1. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. They'd been in the region of the Gadarenes. They cast out the demons uh, the demons uh, from the men, and the pigs ran in there, and now they, they've come. So let me show you, just to remind you, this is his headquarters. Nazareth is way over here. He's in Capernaum, which is the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and, and he gets in the boat, and sometimes he goes over that way, sometimes he goes down this way. Well, just recently, they got in the boat, and they went all the way down here. Now, this is Gadara. This is the Gadarenes, but they were at the edge because the pigs went and ground themselves in the sea, so they're right at this region, and so they get back in the boat, and it says he went back to his own city. It doesn't mean his hometown. It means the city Capernaum. That's where he has his headquarters. So he goes back to his headquarters. So read it again. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea, and they came to his own city. Now, watch what happens in verse 2. You've heard this story. They brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, if that's all you really have, you, you don't really know what's going on. But it says that Jesus came back. One of the other gospels says he went into somebody's house. Not his house, somebody else's house. And so many people came that they filled the house up. And then there were so many people, they were all out in the yard. And so people were trying to hear Jesus. It's a giant crowd. Well, at this time, four men come, and they've got their friend who is paralyzed. And they said, you know, let's get him to Jesus. Well, when they get there, they're believing already. The best we can tell, they're believing that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. And they get there, and they can't get in. There's too many people. They can't get through the door. They can't get through all the people. So they go around, climb up on top of the roof, get on top of the roof, remove the tiles, make a big hole in the ceiling, and they let this guy down on a blanket, basically let him down right in front of Jesus. Because you can imagine Jesus is teaching, suddenly stuff starts falling down, and they look up, and there's a hole, and suddenly this man is let down in a blanket right in front of Jesus, in front of all the crowd. And you can just, this is sort of amazing. And so it says, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. Actually, they brought him down through the hole in the ceiling. And seeing their faith, he knew, because he knew, Jesus knows everything, he said to the paralytic, take courage. The word son there really is child. He says, take courage, child. Your sins are forgiven. Now, let me tell you, they believe this. The, the guys that brought him, I mean, this, this is going way out of the way. I mean, this isn't just going up and saying, well, it's too crowded. We'll come back at another time. They didn't do that. They said, we're going, to get this, we're going to get our friend to Jesus one way or the other because they believed that Jesus could heal their friend. 
they weren't really knowing so much about the whole idea of salvation. I think, I think they've already put their faith in Christ because we'll see what happens. He says, take courage, son. Child, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus went right past what is the obvious need, which is physical healing, and he went straight to spiritual healing. He talked about forgiveness. See, forgiveness actually means moving the, removing the debt. It's almost like you have a calculator, and you got a bunch of things, and you press that zero thing, goes back to zero. This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is lifting up and sending away. Jesus takes away our sin. Jesus brings forgiveness. He is the only one. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. And, and, and we, we need forgiveness of sin, and that's for the issue of salvation. I'm going to explain more in just a minute about that. But he turns to the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, listen, I, I can't say to you, your sins are forgiven. I might say to you, when you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, your sins are forgiven. But I'm not forgiving them. But he does. Jesus forgives sins. Now, the religious leaders, listen, they're right there going, what did he just say? Notice verse 3, and some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemies. This guy is going against God. In fact, blasphemy means to say something really bad about God. These were scholars. When it says the scribes, they were the ones that studied. I mean, these people, if you ask them a Bible question, they knew the Bible. They knew how things fit together. They had what they call the Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim, the Lord, the, Lord, the, writing, uh, the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. That's what we call the Old Testament. They, just, they, didn't call, they called it uh, the Tanakh. And they knew it. And when they heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, they said, that's wrong. You can't say that. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. Who does this guy think he is? And, and the bottom line is, only God can forgive sin. When Jesus Christ said, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is showing that he's God. So watch what he does. Some of the scri- Verse 3 again, some of the scribes said to them, this fellow blasphemies. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts because he knows everything, he said, <clears throat> why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Why are you thinking bad about me? Why are you thinking this is blasphemy? And then he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? He said, now, which is the easiest thing to say? Because if you don't think, because anybody could just say, oh, by the way, your sins are forgiven. Nobody's going to know that. He said, well, so what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven and get up and walk. Well, I can say your sins are forgiven and nobody can see that. But if I said get up and walk, everybody can see that. And, and we know this guy can't walk because they just put him down on a deal. And he's probably well known in that town that he was a guy who was paralyzed and couldn't walk. And so Jesus says, which is it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And then he says, but that you may know. You may know. He's talking to the Pharisees, to the scribes there, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Just to show you that what I've said is right, I'll show you my power. He said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, there's several things I want you to think about this. First of all, he calls himself, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, which is the title of the Messiah. He's calling himself the Messiah. He's calling himself God because the Son of Man goes back to Daniel. Book of Daniel, the Son of Man is the king who's going to come and rule the world as the Messiah and the Savior. So he calls himself Son of Man. He says, just so you would know, I have authority to forgive sin. Here, I'll just show you. Go ahead and get up and walk. And by the way, this is what Isaiah said the Messiah would do these sort of things. He says, no resident will ever say I'm sick. People who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. There will be forgiveness and no sickness. And what he says is, just get up and walk. And look what happened. He got up and went home. Can you see the guy going, 
man, this is, this is good. This is good. And he, he walks out right in front of all these people. And they just watch this. And the scribes watch this. And when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck. They couldn't even talk, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. See, they haven't seen him. The crowds don't, don't necessarily realize at this point that he is the Messiah. He's doing the signs, the miracles that shows he's the Messiah. And here's a great one. He heals a guy that's that just let down and can't walk, and now he can walk. And Jesus not only healed him physically, but he's already healed him physic- uh, spiritually. We see the power power over sin, he forgives sin. Now let me remind you of something because we need, we need to understand the difference between payment of sin and forgiveness of sin. They're two different things. Payment of sin comes or came when Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, he paid for the sins of who? The entire world. First John 2, 2, he's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. The payment of sin happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid for the sins of the world. Payment for sin and forgiveness of sins are two different things. Every human being has the payment for sin. Payment of sin does not bring salvation. Salvation comes how? By what? By faith. And whoever believes. And so forgiveness of sins come by faith. Forgiveness of sins come by faith. Acts 13, 38. I'm going to put you the verse up. Therefore, let it be known to you that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. How? Look at Acts 10, 43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. So I want you to understand there is a difference between payment for sin and forgiveness of sin. Every human being that exists and has ever existed and ever will exist has the payment of sin because Jesus Christ has paid for the penalty of the sins of the world. But to have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to have fellowship with him. We have to have forgiveness of sin. And forgiveness of sin comes by faith. Righteousness comes by faith, eternal life comes by faith, and forgiveness of sins come by faith. So when you as a believer, when you put your faith in Christ, he not only gave you eternal life, he gives you righteousness, and he gives you forgiveness. For a person who's never trusted Christ as Savior, they have the payment for sin, but they don't have salvation because salvation deals with righteousness, eternal life, and forgiveness. And so Jesus has just said to this guy, you have forgiveness of sin. Wow. And Ephesians 1 says, in Christ, in Christ we have redemption and forgiveness. So let me ask a question to every one of you. Do you have forgiveness of sin? I know you have payment of sin because Jesus paid for everybody's sin. My question to you is, do you have forgiveness of sin? Forgiveness of sin comes only one way, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay for your sin. He rose again to conquer death. He offers you the gift of eternal life. He offers you righteousness, and he offers you forgiveness whenever you trust in him. Forgiveness of sin comes by faith. I hope and pray that everyone in this room would say, oh, I have not only payment for sin, which Jesus did when he died on the cross, but I have forgiveness of sin because I have trusted in Christ as my Savior. So what an incredible passage. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to see that? What if, what if it was your house and you're over here watching Jesus teach and suddenly somebody's knocking a hole in your roof and you're going, what is going on? And the stuff is falling down and you thought, these people have knocked a hole in my ceiling. And that's what they did. I imagine they looked at it and said, we'll we'll be back to repair that later, uh, hopefully. So what happens? 
From here, we see something else. We see what we call the call of Matthew. Now, Matthew, he's got two names, Matthew, Levi. So the person who actually wrote in the power of the Holy Spirit who wrote this book is a guy by the name of Matthew, Levi, and we're going to meet him. And he he tells about what happened with him. And look what happened, verse 9. As Jesus went out from there, as he went out from that house, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, this is the call of Matthew, and this is not a call for salvation. This is a call for discipleship. He didn't say to Matthew, believe in me for eternal life. He didn't say that. He said, follow me. And we already know that salvation is a gift by faith, and we know that discipleship costs us. Let's talk about this guy for just a second. He's Matthew Levi, and and most everybody just thinks of him as Matthew, but uh, by the name Levi, he probably was was from, uh, of course, from the tribe of Levi, most likely, and he was uh, of the priestly tribe. He was a tax collector. Now, how many of you like tax collectors? Not counting Bonita. But anyway, uh, how many like tax collectors? At that day and time, they were considered traitors. They were hated. They were considered traitors because they helped the Romans and they were thieves. Listen, if you were a Jew, like Matthew, you could work for the Romans and you, would ta- and you had a booth and you picked up taxes from people. And first of all, the normal Jewish person saw you working for the Romans, they would say you're a traitor because you work for the Romans. Now, why would you work for the Romans and take up taxes? Because the Romans had a deal with the Jews. If the Romans said you got to pick up $50 worth of taxes, you could charge them 70 and keep the 20 and give the rest to the Romans. So they made their money by overcharging the people so that they would get money and, and so most of them were rich. If you remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? He was so wealthy. What was his job? He was a tax collector. So most people didn't like the tax collectors. And by the way, when Jesus chose the disciples, he's, he's now bringing this guy in. You remember there was Simon the Zealot, who's one of the zealots, hated anybody, any, any Roman, and they also hated anybody connected with the Romans. So when Jesus brought Matthew in with Simon the Zealot, they were natural enemies. The love of Jesus Christ breaks all those barriers. And so they were hated. So Jesus goes by this guy and says, follow me. And he gets up and follow him. Listen, there were a lot of taxes, land taxes, poll taxes, personal taxes, custom taxes. Most likely with Matthew being in Capernaum, as, as you rode your boat up, as your boat docked, he was there and there was a tax for going across the Sea of Galilee. And that's a, he, they had all kind of taxes. And so if we think taxes are bad now, they were really bad then. And so Jesus said, follow me. So he gets up and he begins to follow. Luke tells us that he left behind everything. And let me tell you something, leaving behind everything, it wasn't like he left a, a low-paying job. He was, he was wealthy. He could make all kind of money doing this. But this is discipleship. And by the way, discipleship costs. When, when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, it costs us nothing. When you decide to follow Jesus Christ and live for him, it costs you your life. I want you to remember that salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So salvation is a gift. But discipleship is when you give your life, is when you say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. I want to I wanna live for you. And what he's doing is saying, I'm giving up all of this. I want to be with Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to be like him. That's a disciple. And so for all of us in this room, any one of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, it costs us absolutely nothing. But if we're going to be a disciple, 
It's going to cost you life. You're going to say to God, I give you my life. I want to live for you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Now, watch what this guy does. Because here's Levi Matthew. He's a believer. He's following Jesus. And who are his friends? <laughs> he doesn't have any Jewish friends. Not very many. And he doesn't have any Roman-type friends. And so his friends are all other tax collectors and what they call sinners. Now, sinners in that day and time were Jewish people who didn't, who didn't keep the law the way they were supposed to. They were called sinners because they didn't do everything the right way. They didn't wash the hands the right way. They might not keep every rule. And so this guy, Levi, Matthew, wants them to know about Jesus. So he has a party at his house. This Bible, our Bible says in Matthew, it says, then it happened that as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, it doesn't tell us, but one of the other gospels tells us that Matthew took a whole bunch of people to his house for a big party so they could meet Jesus and find out who he is. And notice what it says. He was reclining at the table in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. So uh, Matthew has a party for his friends. Let me ask you a question. Uh, when was the last time you had a party or some kind of gathering of people who may not know Christ so they could find out about Jesus? You know, it's so funny. When we first trust Christ, and we, we, we may have a lot of friends who aren't Christians. We trust Christ, and we go, wow. And, and what we should do right then is want to tell our friends. But a lot of times after we trust Christ, we go to a church, and all of a sudden all our friends are Christians, and then we say, how many non-Christians do you know? And you say, well, I know somebody. I don't hang around any of them. What did Matthew do? He said, I've got to get as many sinners in here as possible so that we, they can know about Jesus. We need our people and friends around us to know about Christ. You know, Christ has the power to change lives. So watch what happened. Here come the Pharisees. Oh, we, when you think about the Pharisees, we always have a bad view of them. They started out good. They were going to live by the Bible. They were going to... Keep the law of Moses, and they were going to, but they became legalistic and they missed everything. And if you said to a Pharisee, Do you think you're good enough to go to heaven? They would say, Of course I am. Of course I am. I keep all the laws. I tithe a tenth of this. I do this. I do this. I, do, uh, I, fa I fast twice a week. I fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's when they fasted. He said, I do everything right. Of course I'm good enough to go to heaven. That's what they would think. If you said to them, do you think you need Jesus and eternal life? And they'd go, I don't need Jesus at all. And so here's what happens, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they saw Jesus hanging around with the sinners. They said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Why is he eating with them? See, they didn't want to have anything to do. The religious leaders were too good to hang around with the sinners. They didn't think that they were sinners. They didn't even think they needed a savior. And so what does Jesus say? When Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Listen, it's not the person who's healthy. It's the person who's sick. Who needs a doctor? The sick one. By the way, of, of all human beings, how many of us are sick? Every one of us. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. Why did Jesus Christ came? He came to save sinners. He came to save mankind. And so here's the problem. The religious leaders, they didn't recognize their need for Christ. They thought they were good enough to go to heaven. And see, there are people today that think the same thing. If you said to them, what about Jesus? They said, I don't really need Jesus. I don't really need anything. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. That ought to be good enough. I remember talking to a guy one time. He actually... Uh, 
was doing a, a good deed. And I went out and talked to him because he was on a tractor and he was doing this good deed deal. And I said, hey, thank you for doing this. This is wonderful. He said, yeah. And I, we, we started talking and I asked him about salvation. And he said, oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going. You know? And I said, how do you know? And he said, because I've done a lot of good things. I said, so you think your good works will get you to heaven? And he said, of course it will. Why do you think I'm cleaning off his parking lot? And I went, and I talked to him, of course, but he didn't listen to me. See, there are some people who actually think what they've done is good enough. And they compare themselves to other people, and they think they're better. But look what Jesus said in verse 13. But Jesus said to those guys, but go and learn what this means. And he's quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I didn't call, come to call the righteous, but sinners. And see, what he's actually saying is, it's not ritual and it's not religion that saves you. It's the idea that you need to understand that I've come to save you. So many people think the same thing today. Look, I've talked to people who go to church and if you ask them about Christ, they don't even have a clue about Christ. Listen, I've got some friends that if you said to them, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? They say, I'm pretty sure I would. Why? Because I go to church and I do all the right things and I give money and everything. I said, what about Jesus? And they go, I don't even really know. I don't really understand what you're talking about. I, I know about Jesus. And you ask them what they know about, and they don't know anything about his death and resurrection. They've never trusted him as Savior. They, they think that the connection is just going to church. The religious leader said, we do everything right. And Jesus said, listen, what you need is the mercy and the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. That's what they need. It's not rituals. It's not works. We don't come to God through our works. We come to God through Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. When we think about our message about Christ, we have to understand oh, none of us measure up. All of us need a Savior, whether, whether people realize it or not. But we all need a Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. And it's by faith. After this, we see one more thing. And some disciples of John, this is John the Baptist. It doesn't say, my Bible just reads this way. When the disciples of John came to him, they're talking about John the Baptist. If you remember that John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was born six months before Jesus. He started his ministry probably six months before Jesus started his. And he was proclaiming the kingdom of heaven in his hand. They came to him and said, who are you? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And so he announced the Messiah. There were people who followed John the Baptist. They were his disciples. Some of those disciples, when John said, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, some of John's disciples started following Jesus, which is what they were supposed to do. John actually said, he must increase, I must decrease. But still there were people who considered to be disciples of John the Baptist. They come to Jesus with a question. The disciples of John came to him asking, why do we, disciples of John the Baptist, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You remember we talked about fasting on the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about it. Fasting is not taking in food or drink. It's basically sitting apart, time to pray, or some issue that's going on in your life. And the disciples of John the Baptist fasted. The, the Pharisees fasted at least twice a week. But if you've noticed, if you look through this, Jesus never talked about fasting to his men. They never fasted. In fact, they made fun of them. We're going to see later on in the Gospel of John that they say when John the Baptist came... Uh, he wouldn't eat or anything, and when Jesus comes, all he does is eat. And that's what they said. They were making fun of him. And so they come to Jesus and say, why, why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your people, your disciples, don't fast? And the answer is this. Fasting is a time of mourning. Jesus said, as long as it, basically, as long as Jesus is on the earth, it's not time for the mourning. Notice what he says. And Jesus said to them in verse 15, 
the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? I mean, they're not mourning when the bridegroom's there, but the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. Jesus says, as long as I'm on the earth, it's not a time to fast. It's not a time to mourn. He gives them this example of when you have a bridegroom and all the wedding party and everybody's there, everybody's happy, nobody's fasting then, everybody's eating then. He said, but once he's gone and everybody goes, boy, do we miss him, it may be time to fast. And so he's saying there's no need to fast while the Messiah is on the earth. Now, he's going to talk about something that's often misunderstood. And I want you to understand that what Jesus is doing is not the same old rituals of the law and the religious leaders. In fact, it's something totally new because he's the Messiah. He brings salvation, a new way of life as a new person. The religious leaders had the law and the rules and the rituals and the works, but Jesus comes with grace and salvation and the new creation. And notice what he says, verse 16. No one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the worse is worse, and the worse, uh, and, and there's a worse tear. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. My understanding was that in the old wineskins, when you put new wine in a new wineskin, it expands a little bit, and the new wineskins are able to expand to a certain point, and that's fine. But if you took new wine and put it in an old wineskin, when it starts to expand, it's going to burst. It's going to break open. And what he's really saying is you don't, we're not trying to correct the old we're bringing in a new. Same way, you had the garment, the garment that was torn. He said, let's put this new piece of cloth on this old garment. That's not going to work. He said, I'm not come to fix up the old garment. I've come to bring something brand new. I want you to understand, when Jesus came to you and saved you, he didn't fix you up. He didn't say, I'm going to make that old person a little bit better. He said, I've come to make a new creation. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? What are we? We're a new creation. And so he uses those examples of new cloth on an old garment. It'd be ruined, new wine and old wine skins. It will be ruined. The truth is this. Jesus didn't come to get man better. Jesus came to make a new creation. That's who we are. We're not just better. I remember I was in college, and I, I didn't do anything with pottery or anything like that, but I was walking down the hall one day, and there was a lady in this room, and she was doing a pottery deal. And I, I, I went, wow, I've never seen something like that. So I walked in, and she was doing that thing, you know, and it was spinning around. And all of a sudden, something kind of messed up, and, and she just crumbled it all up. And I said, oh, you're going to try to fix it? She said, no, I'm like something brand new. And so that's what Jesus does with us. He doesn't fix us up. He doesn't say, poor JB, I, I think I can straighten some of that stuff out. He doesn't straighten any of it out. He makes me a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, we're a new creation. We're a new person in Christ. That's why Paul talked about it. When Paul said, even when he sinned, he said, when I sinned, it's not really me. It's my old me. I'm the new me. The new me is a new creation in Christ. And so Jesus came not to fix up the old. He came to make something brand new. We're going to continue seeing the power of the king next time. So Jesus shows his power to forgive sin. The religious leaders get all upset. Uh, he gets Matthew, and Matthew comes and changes. Not only is Matthew's life changed, but he changes other people's. Religious leaders come in and say, why are you eating with these trash? And Jesus said, I, I came for the trash. I came for the sick people because the religious leaders didn't think they needed anybody. And then he came not to fix up the old, 
but to make something brand new. So as we finish, let me give you some application. Let's realize that all people need a Savior. There's no doubt about it. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. We're all sick. We're not like the religious leaders. We understand that we need a Savior. Jesus Christ has the power to heal physically and the power to heal spiritually. So I want you to understand, if you're here this morning and you've said to yourself, I think I'm okay, you're not okay. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, right where you're sitting right now, you can trust in Christ to give you eternal life. He'll make a new creature. Just realize that. We must come to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Remember, there's a difference. Payment for sin has already happened for everybody. Forgiveness of sin comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Christ, you have forgiveness of sins. Realize this. Let's understand that by faith in Christ, we become a new creation in Christ. Aren't you glad? Because the old's not that good. You know what I mean? And we're just, we're, we're fallen and dead in sin. And Jesus said, I came not to fix you up, but to make a new person. It's not by religion, but it's by relationship. That is not the old man, but the new person. And then finally, now this is the hardest one. Let us, let's be disciples of Jesus Christ. Now it's going to cost you. Salvation is a gift by faith, costs us absolutely nothing. Every one of us in this room, you have eternal life. It's not one thing you do. You're taking the gift of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. But discipleship cost us our lives. It's where Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. It's where he said to Peter and James and Andrew and John and those others, follow me. And that people said, I'd like to follow you. And he said, just remember, when you follow me, the birds have a nest and all that, but I have no place. When you follow me, you leave it all and you come on. That doesn't mean you give up everything you got. It means you say, my life is yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to do and go, I'll do that. I trusted Christ at 19. It wasn't until I was 26 that I made that decision to live for him. Now, I had, I had eternal life the moment I believed in Jesus Christ, sitting in the front seat of a car on the way to get a hamburger. I put my faith in Christ as my Savior. Save forever cost me absolutely nothing. It was a gift. Seven years later, in my bedroom by myself, I said, Lord, I give you my life. I want to live for you. I want to go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I give you my life. Now, that cost me. That cost me and cost you. Many of you in this room, not only have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, but many of you in this room have said to God, I want my life to count for you. That's discipleship. May we as disciples proclaim the great message of Jesus Christ, the message of forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and maybe realize we're new creations in Christ and we want to live for him.